And we're live. Welcome back to another episode of the Wheelie Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. And I am also joined by a special guest on today's show, Eric Buell, who many of our readers and listeners will know as a legend in the industry of motorcycle design and racing. He has a storied 50-ish year career that spans motorcycle and engine design and innovations, and most recently led him to found the electric vehicle company Fuel in 2019. So thank you so much for being with us today, Eric. Yeah. Hi, Micah. Hi, Seth. It's great to be here. All right. So let's let's just jump into it, okay? Like, uh, you know, we're, we're obviously excited to have you here. Um, tell us about how um, you kind of, you know, we, we know about the, the history. Tell us a little bit about your history with um, you know, gas motorcycles, but more importantly, tell us about, uh, when you saw the light, so to speak, and, uh, and decided to start working in electric. Well, as you mentioned, it's a long story, so I'll try to condense it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I, I just got a, I got in a motorcycle cause I had two, like you see in the background, I'm in a, into, uh, into music and, uh, but I also love motorcycles. So I wound up, uh, with a kind of a long story getting into, uh, getting my degree in engineering, but at the same time was racing professionally and, uh, and, uh, and working in motorcycle shops after I abandoned the idea of a career as a musician, uh, that's not being a wise choice, which turned out okay. So in what wound up happening was, uh, I went to work for Harley for a few years right after I graduated, but I had already raced. I was racing professionally and what we had formula one was the premier class and then super bike below that. And I went to Harley because I wanted to be a motorcycle engineer. And it was really the only job opportunity where you could do that. But I'm not a Harley kind of guy. Uh, so after I'd been there for a few years and was actually having a real successful career there, I just had to leave because I just felt I wanted to do sport motorcycles. And I felt I could. I'd done enough work that I was like, you know what? I think I could do this. And it wound up being a lot harder than I thought. But it was more the business end and the engineering end of things. And this kind of relates because when I was, after I'd started, uh, you know, after I started Buell and it was starving to death virtually, you know, and uh, uh, in this tiny little shop outside of a barn building that, you know, these high, high semi-high performance uh, motorcycles that had Harley engines, I went, what the heck am I doing here? You know, I'd go somewhere and make a good living. And I said, you know, is there really any purpose in it? And this kind of led to another thing, which is I always have read science fiction. I'm very much a futurist. I'm always that. And so I kind of thought, okay, is there any purpose in me doing this? And I'm like, well, you know, the world's got to change, you know, and yeah, I could go back to Harley, uh, but I don't want to. And, you know, what, where, where could Buell be? And I said, well, you know, maybe in 200 years, we'd be building, if the company existed, who's going to build the little one-person transportation things been there are out in the asteroid belt, you know, so the miners get from one place to another. I go, cool. There's always space for personal transportation, you know. I'm like, okay, screw it. I'm going to keep going. So, I mean, that gives you a hint of why I got into electric. So I did the whole thing with 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 Buell, ran it for t 10 years. Harley bought it, became a division. It grew um, and lots of frustration working with a big corporation, let me tell you. There were so many cool products that they killed that would have succeeded. And it's very hard to deal with that when you're an innovative person to deal with the weight and the sluggishness and the un unwiseness of corporate world. Um, so uh, fuel was shut down, sadly, uh, for again, corporate reasons. It was actually making money for Harley, but that money was being hidden uh, to cover some some messes that they that the executives had made, which is a classic thing. Uh, and so I started a new company, which did consulting work. But to go back right before that, when I was when I was at Harley, I was in part of the executive leadership group. And in the meetings, I said, you know, we need to look into electric. You know, being a futurist, I said, you know, yeah, it's not now, but it's going to come, and we need to understand it. We need to do it. So after beating on them for a while, they let me go out and do some research and do a report. And I went and looked at, oh, God, Vectrix and Zero and Bramo, visited them. And, and also there was another company out of San Francisco at that time, and I forget the name of them, that were doing a sport bike. They had taken a Ducati and shoved some batteries and stuff in it. Hmm. And I wrote all those things, and I came back, and I did my, my math. And I came back, and I said... 
electric's really interesting. It ain't ready. It's definitely not ready for Harley. So there is no range. Uh, and looking at the trend of battery capacity and where it's going to go, you know, you won't be able to build a bike that goes to Sturgis. You know, you won't be able to build a Harley. But for urban use, like e-bicycles or little e-commuters, man, it would really work. So it would work under the Buell brand. Um, but a couple of years later, they wound up getting themselves in huge trouble. I mean, their stock went from $72 this year to $9 this year. So they shut down plants and all that stuff, and they shut down people. So when I restarted, uh, and I had done some electric uh, city bike kind of designs, mm. uh, even at Buell, just sketched them out and thought about them and laid out the math. So when we started uh, uh, this other company, EBR, we did a whole lot of consulting for a company called Hero. So we designed a serial hybrid scooter for them. We designed an electric bike. But all those things were for a global expansion concept that the CEO had because it was all too expensive to sell in India. And Hero is like a, you know, a Chevrolet in India. Maybe that's mm -hmm. not even fair, but it's a very low cost, affordable brand. And uh, the products just didn't fit their brand in India. They thought they were going to change. They decided they'd pull back from all of that and focus on India. So all I was at, I also was designing 100cc motorcycles. We we're doing a whole lot of other, you know, stuff for them. And it really gave me an in-depth feeling for the global market of motorcycles. Mm -hmm. And I came out of that saying, man, uh, when that was shut down, then I had a guy, some guys, a couple of friends of mine, guys came to me, uh, FX Tierney and, and uh, another guy, uh, <clears throat> Fred Vessler, who's now running the Ferrari Formula One team. And they said, you know, we're into electric because Fred at that time was running the company that was making the Formula E cars. And he said, you know, they said, how about, it? they're both race guys. How about a race electric bike? And I said, cool concept. You'll never sell them. I said, the market for super bikes of any kind is small. Uh, make them electric. Don't even have a race series they fit in. It's impossibly small. So it's just a brand building exercise. I said, but, and then I went back to the thing I had at Harley. Let, how about building bikes for commuters? You know, I said, Paris, you know, all these countries, they're shutting down. They're canceling. Uh, they're go they want internal combustion out of the cities. And so many compete people commute on two wheelers, and I know exactly what we should build. So that's how, uh, you know, fuel got started because we had already done so many designs in it, and um, and 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 that was the idea: is let's do long range bicycles that are really heavy duty, long range that are, you know, more than just a fun bicycle with a motor on it. And I'm an avid bicyclist as well, so. But let's not do what most people are doing. Let's make them long range where they can carry a lot of weight. They have a lot of battery capacity. And then let's do a, a, a urban to suburban motorcycle because an e-motorcycle will work there. <laughs> and I said, especially if we can design it from scratch, throwing out all the old rules, because I've designed everything from super bikes to 100cc bikes to motocross bikes to everything. But the answer is, this is a whole different world. You don't just take a motor and stick it where the gas motor is and stick the batteries where the you know, gasoline is, we got a chance to completely start over because there's no rules. There's no set plan. And I hate set plans. I like innovation. In the regular motorcycle world, innovation is actually rejected a lot because, you know, you're either a cruiser guy or you're a, you know, race guy. And those guys hate each other. And it has to look like this if it's this kind of bike. And it's got to look like this. It's like, I hate that, you know. I want to be innovative, you know, and I want to build things for the asteroids. I can't do that. But let's let's do this. So, sorry, I tell you, I get on a roll, man. You got to slap me down if I start going too far. <laughs> no, no that, that was that, great. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that actually sort of leads me into one of my my next questions. You know, your reputation obviously precedes you when it comes to you know high power sport bikes and motorcycle racing. So the direction of the fuel flow is more of a a commuter level motorcycle with uh, lower power might surprise some people. What was the thought process in going that direction and um, you know, how did that play into the electric vehicle drivetrain that you've developed? Oh, you know, very, you know, very much, as you said, I, I love racing. I came out of racing, you know, uh, but I've also done up there business there to know that's, that's a brand building exercise for any company to build a, you know, a high expensive super bike. And uh, if you have enough money to burn and, you know, it fits into your, you know, into your marketing budget, maybe you could do it. But 
Yeah, a couple of things is one is you get older and I thought about all these different things. And I had also, though people know, know me for the high performance bike, I also designed very lightweight, you know, um, efficient, you know, transportation type motorcycles. And I love all motorcycles. I'm not segregated. I don't, I'm not in any one camp. I love them all. And I just wish all four wheelers were replaced by two wheelers virtually. I get it when you need six people. I have six kids. So when there were, you know, eight of us in a, in a van, well, there were no way we were going to ride on motorcycles. Okay. But <laughs> so many times you see individuals commuting on a, you know, on a great big fat car and you go, what a waste of energy. What a waste of everything. Even if it's electric, you know, right. it's still all that mass and all that in there. So again, also getting older, you're like thinking about the future after you even more and what your kids are going to go to and what their kids are going to go to. It's like, dang we need to do this. So we need to do bikes. We need to do something that will really work, not something that a hardcore green person is going to go out of their way to buy. It's not really a rational choice, but it's a heart. You know, I want to make a statement. I want to do stuff that every, people go, this is the choice. I've never bought electric before, but when I look at electric versus gasoline. This one's better. You know, yeah. that's what you want to do. That's how you can move this needle. That's how we can reduce the use of Internal combustion. I love internal combustion. It's cool, but we're the phrase I've overused is probably is we're running out of dinosaurs. You know, fundamentally, petroleum's going to go away. Okay, yep. and if you, you know, okay, other people, like, oh, it's going to go away with next year. No, but is it going to go away a hundred years? Yes. Is it going to go away in fifty years if we keep using it the way we are? Yeah, maybe. You know, so the only, I mean, the oil got created by the sun, <laughs> so the only thing that's a real energy source for us is the sun. Everything that's created, all the energy comes from there. So however we collect it, and it's true, some electric plants are piled by coal, but that's going to run out. We know we're going to change it. But the sun's yeah. there. We're going to find ways to, ca to capture that. So we got to go towards electric. And if, for two things, one, it'll leave the internal combustion, leave the fuel there for people who know who need it, for situations that need it. Don't waste it if you don't need to. And, uh, and also prepare for the future when it's all gone. Uh, so that, you know, led me to there. And then, you know, to your point of, you know, how, how is it different? That was a big shakeup for me, Michael, what's going, okay, if I really want to do this right, um, this is a chance to go back to first principles and just reinvent everything. I mean, I know there's a, there's a certain things that a two wheeler needs to do and that I know a lot different motorcycles, but I don't need to follow any of the standard ways of getting there. Um, and that led us to the design. Um, and yeah, and I, I kind of want to jump on that. And um, sure, you know, you originally came out with the fuel fluid, um, and that that was kind of like a for us, it was like kind of a game changer in terms of like battery capacity and range. And you know, coming from uh, your background, you know, a, a, a great bike to to ride. Um, you know, we we kind of start, started seeing them everywhere. Um, and then uh, more recently, I think this is in June, um, you came out with the uh, Fuel Fluid 2 and Fuel Fluid 3 electric bikes. And um, Micah got a first ride on those. But can you tell us, like, just kind of your thinking here? Like, obviously, you had the first generation, but, um, you know, the second generation, what did you learn from the first generation to get to get here? Yeah, the you know the the first product, like I said, with, with the, the idea with the fuel brand, was to uh, um, you know do bicycles and and motorcycles. So a couple of things I brought to it is is you know when I said okay if we're doing a bicycle it needs to be durable it needs to be long range I don't want derailers don't want a belt I, I sure I ride with them I mean the the bikes that I have are you know I got a Trek Domani and I got a specialized Roubaix and then I mm. got the I just got a, and I got a top stone uh, carbon with a lefty. Anyhow, I'm, I'm talking too bicycle geeky, but you know, derailers suck as an engineer. I like simplicity. Yep. And so we went that route. Well, the net latest thing that we were coming out with a fluid two and three. So the fluid ones were pretty simple, pretty durable, have a little more head angle, have some stuff in them that make them more comfortable ride, you know, like, uh, you know, I've also had a Madone, you know, really snappy, sharp, steep steering head angle, you know, fun to ride fast, very, very nervous. We wanted this bike to be very relaxed because, again, it's a commuter. You know, it's not for, you know, I'm not trying to be a 
uh, Tour de France rider. Mm -hmm. Well, then this new, the fluid two and fluid three is even cooler because the transmission's in the motor. So we don't have the, and it's autom it's an automatic transmission, which once again, this for get more people on uh, who aren't necessarily bicyclists, right? So, you know, how do you make it easy for them? And Vallejo had come out with this, we're working on this really cool motor, um, which is almost done. Um, that's so the low power versions are in production, but the higher power ones are still, still coming. Um, anyhow, it's just a really cool idea. And then the, while we were at it, we redesigned it and uh, we got two kilowatt hours of motor in it, uh, whereas the fluid ones had uh, one. So the two battery bike has two kilowatt hours. The step through kind of bike um, is, is a full kilowatt hour in it. And that gives you range, a lot of range if you want to add your own effort or, you know, pretty damn good range if you're riding it with not putting any of your own effort, you know, almost losing it like a motorcycle. And again, that's to fit that whole concept of, is it a real commuter? You know, can I put on panniers? Can I put on stuff and load it up with groceries and ride it to work and back? You know, you know this isn't really built for, I'm going to take it out and do a five mile ride on, you know, Sunday morning, once a week. Um, we want people to commute on them and they go good. These are fun shots that you got riding it. Like this is awesome. Yeah, this was uh, at uh, Eurobike in Frankfurt, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this was, you know, a very fun bike to ride. I, I rode the original uh, Fluid One a few years ago, uh, and it was great testing these out. And if anything, you know, as someone who rides both electric bicycles and electric motorcycles, this obviously isn't a motorcycle, but it just, it's, it's hard to put my finger on it, but it had more of like a a road presence to it. And, and I wonder sort of how, as someone who comes from a motorcycle background, whereas most bicycle designers don't have motorcycling backgrounds. How did that impact your design process and what resulted in, in such a uh, impressive feeling bike that just, it feels so different than most of the e-bikes that we try? Well, you know, when you come from the motorcycle world, you got especially high performance, you really, you know, got to know steering head angle, weight distribution, um, frame torsional rigidity, lateral rigidity, how they matter and how they affect the way it feels. So some of that is in, is in these bicycles. And I think they turn out really well. I'm, I'm, you know, happy with them again, you know, they're, they're sturdy, you know, they're, they're a little bit heavy. You know, if you were compared, if you were, if you were just going to pedal it without a motor, you go, Oh man, this thing heavy, but that's not what it's built for. You know, it's built to be durable. It's built to feel stable. It's built to feel comfortable. You know, even if we load it up with stuff, I rode an original fluid one across Wisconsin with in the, in the early winter, I guess, late fall, early winter, I think it was, Thanksgiving time, brutally cold, you know, below freezing. Uh, and I was had uh, my, you know, tent and uh, my bivy and my food and my stove and my layers of clothes all packed. I had 75 pounds of stuff on it. I had front panniers, rear panniers loaded up like a tank. And I rode it from the Mississippi River, you know, over to Lake Michigan. And one of the first things as I was riding it all loaded up, the first thing is you climb up from the Mississippi River, just climb up pretty high, and then you drop down into the valley again. And I got up to like 45 miles an hour and I'm like, oh, dear God, <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> Wait a minute, this is a bicycle. And it was dead stable. But I was kind of laughing. It's like, God, being a test rider, I forgot that's what I was doing again. That's impressive. It's, it's great to see, you You know, you, you walk the walk <laughs> and talk the talk with your own bicycle. Yeah, I want to ride a fluid, too. I wonder how far I can go. Well, that'll be fun. One of these yes. days I'll ride across the country on one. You know, what I did was I camped out in the campgrounds and I just rented a space where you have power and I carry two battery chargers with me. That's also why the weight was heavy. And I just plug mm -hmm. them into the charger, you know, where the RV guys park, plug, plug them in, plug them into the bike, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, the batteries are charged. Because that was during COVID. So, I, you know, I don't want to stay in a hotel. Right. And I also wanted to make the point, you know, you can be yeah. really independent. So, um, Obviously, the bikes are super cool, um, but let's talk about the the motorcycle, the flow. Um, you know, let's, let's just uh, like get into that because that I think that's kind of like uh, you know inspiring a lot of uh, excitement out there right now. Absolutely, yeah. One that's of the questions cool. that I had for you was, um, you know, we often hear about the the freedoms that that designers have when they move away from a traditional ICE drivetrain. I imagine there are limitations as well to an electric drivetrain. So, what was that like for you, being able to design around a totally different type of of drivetrain when it came to the flow? 
whew, you know, there just a, there are a lot of options, and of course we, I kind of wanted to stretch the envelope even in you know in when it comes to electric, and if you look at the you know the bike, there were a couple of things we wanted to accomplish. This basically is we wanted to have the um, utilitarianism of a scooter, but look like a sport bike, but also look like a sport bike from the future. So I didn't want to have fins and scoops and all this kind of stuff on it, which are just done for a stylist reasons. Like, you know, that doesn't fit. I mean, you need a scoop, you know, maybe to get air into a internal combustion engine or whatever. But, you know, again, this thing's going to go, you know, maybe we limited the speed to like 70 miles an hour or something. I don't even remember what that number is, but it's like, it's a commuter bike because burn of energy is cubic on the highway, you know, with speed, with, with velocity. Um, and and the CDA of a motorcycle, you know, the CDA of a Harley touring bike, for example, is worse than a Tesla Model S. So on yeah. the highway, you are burning more energy on that bike than that car is just because they're dirty. You know what I mean? Even though the A is small, the CD is terrible. You know, the you right. huge weight behind you. So fundamentally, you know, you just can't do that. But anyhow, get to get to Sorry, I go up there, but that's kind of what I want to do. And the idea is I want to look super smooth, modern, futuristic. You know, I don't want scoops on it. I want this thing to be sleek and smooth, and yet it's still got to look powerful and sexy. So there's an enormous amount of time going into how do we get that look, but also not, I've also got accomplishing certain things, you know, uh, technically. So for example, I need a big battery. I need a big storage space. Um, you know, I need a certain amount of power uh, and then combining that with the looks. So what wound up going to is like, we really need a hub motor. And so we looked around and, you know, current, what people think of current hub motors today, the stuff that's sold out of China and kits and stuff, it's really old school, super heavy. Stuff. But we knew a guy in, in the U.S. who's doing some very, very cool motor design stuff and has things in production, not this big as what we wanted, smaller, but really, really working, very high tech, very lightweight, very high torque. And so that was a crucial thing was to get that uh, hub motor that was light, powerful. Um, and uh, that made a big deal because what that enabled me to do is a couple of things. There's just so many things. You're trying to think of all the things as, you know, as how do I accomplish this? But also, a couple of other things I want to think about is, okay, batteries are changing quickly. Motor technology is changing quickly. I don't want to lock my design in around anything specific on that. If I do a hub motor and the motors change in advance, that's just a bolt-on piece on the swing arm. I don't have to go in and tear my entire chassis apart to redesign for it. Okay, so that was important. Second thing is, how do I do the batteries? You know, what do I want to do? And I've seen, you know, so what we did is we do a big battery pack that's an integral integral part of the chassis, but I can put any type of battery inside it. And that's a magnesium housing. It's part of the styled surface. Um, um, and the batteries are as low as possible. Um, again, for the kind of duty cycle that you want, having that weight low is really important because batteries are heavy. And um, so you want them in the bottom of the vehicle. And so with the motor on the back, I had more room for the battery and more room for storage. So I've got, we've got 10 kilowatts hours of battery in the thing and 50 liters of storage on top of it that you can't even see. It's when you pop open the thing, looks like a gas tank. There's a 50 liter capacity and that's bigger than almost any scooter and way bigger than an electric scooter. For example, the BMW electric scooter, which is pretty cool. If you want the long range battery, they fill the entire storage space up with battery. So it really doesn't have it. Just like you need to add saddlebags to your, you know, to your uh, scooter in order to carry capacity. So that was kind of my goal is, you know, so it's like, you know, how do you have a, you know, this utility vehicle that looks incredibly sexy, is quick as heck, but it's limited on top speed because you're doomed if you try to go for top speed anyhow, you know, so just market it for that and be real. And again, my point is, want to make a bike that won't disappoint anybody, then indeed they go, I can't get this in an internal combustion vehicle. I just, you can't, you can't have a vehicle of this size with that much storage capacity and that weight in internal combustion. It just can't be done. So that's cool to me. It's like, 
you know, again, it's not a substitute. You have to buy for a green reason. And I'm okay with people doing that, but more people buy it. It's like, God, this is just the best solution. That, that was kind of my goal. So we put a whole lot into this uh, concept. There's an enormous amount of time, enormous number of, of, of directions, different directions that you'll never see. Ways that I went, went, ah, oh, shoot, that won't work. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, we, we take our hats off to you as, you know, a designer and engineer, because what you've created here is, is just beautiful. And I know that we're both super excited to see this one coming out, which I believe is next year, right? That's our, that's our goal. Like uh, everything, there's so many things you got to get accomplished, you know, and supplier hiccups and blah, 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 you know, and it's got to be fully tested and all that kind of stuff is, you know, we, that's, that's a big deal. And that's something I bring, you know, from the motorcycle world having done, you know, been involved with Harley and hero and design products for them and designed Buell and EBR products made over like 150,000 of them. So, the quality and we were the best products in the Harley lineup from JD powers by a good mile. Cause, and that made me very proud. You know, that's a big deal. You know, you don't want people to be disappointed, but that means you got to do everything right. You got to test it. You can't launch it when it isn't right. You know, that's a big deal. So that's our goal. We're working towards that as, as, as you know, as absolutely as quickly as we can. And one of the interesting things is we've gotten a lot of people who buy pre buy them. Um, which has really helped us because you go out to the, you know, venture vulture capital, you know, investment community, and they want their money back. You know, they want to make 20% interest a year and get, get out of it in two years, you know, and they, they just don't give it crap about whether it's good for the planet or anything. It's just what's good for their wallet. And so you can bounce. Oh, well, nobody's done that before. I go, yeah, that's right. Because that's the opportunity. Well, we'd like to see if it's done first. And then we somehow want to catch, jump on board and get rich on it. It's like, okay, that's just not going to work. And you go to big companies and they go, oh, that's just too radical. The answer is, ah, no, it isn't. So it's going to happen. So it's a tough road to get there, but it's worth doing. Absolutely. I, I, we could not agree more. Uh, and Eric, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing all this with us. This has been fascinating and uh, we are going to continue following this with interest. And, and I think both of us can't wait to get on all of your new bikes, motorcycles, and everything that's coming out. So thank you so much for coming out and being on the show. Yes, thank you, Eric. Thank you guys for inviting me and uh, very much. I'll keep up doing the great work, bringing out the news about this change world. This is cool. Thanks, guys. All right, take Absolutely. care. All right. Man, that, that was fascinating. That was awesome. Yeah, and if, if anybody who's interested in fuel bikes besides uh, what's on electric, uh, check out their website. It's... Uh, F-U-E-L-L dot U-S. Uh, so uh, lots of fun stuff there. Absolutely. And uh, and that was just the beginning, too, because we have a bunch more news to cover across uh, a number of different stories, both electric bicycles and electric motorcycles. I think we're going to start somewhere in the bicycle space. Where is that going to be, Seth? All right. The country where electric bikes outsell pedal bikes. Yeah, so you've got a couple seconds to put your guesses in, and it is Germany. Congratulations, Germany. Uh, we recently heard new numbers uh, on the German electric bicycle industry. For the last few years, they've been approaching parity in terms of sales between pedal and electric bikes, and they are estimated this year in 2023 to finally surpass the sale of pedal bikes with electric bikes. And Seth, you and I were both recently in Germany. Um, you know, you've been there a number of times. And each time I'm always amazed by the number of e-bikes I see on the road. And if anything, I almost felt like we would have reached this point a few years ago myself. Uh, I mean, how do, how do you feel having been there so many times and seeing that, this firsthand? Yeah, same here. Uh, I agree. They're everywhere. Um, you almost don't even see uh, acoustic bikes um, too much anymore. Or if you do, it's uh, kind of like an old classic version that's being written by a, uh, either a, you know, a competitor type person or, um, you know, somebody who's probably hasn't, uh, thrown a lot of money into their, uh, cycling habit. So, um, not a surprise at all. Uh, and I would also add that Germans and, and I would say Europeans in general typically throw a lot more money into their e-biking habit or, or world than, uh, we're typically used to in the U S typically in the U S you know, 
somebody asks me for a recommendation on an e-bike, I'll give them a recommendation. They're like, eh, I kind of wanted to spend like a thousand bucks. And uh, that's always like, hmm, okay, well, your options have changed quite a bit. <laughs> Here's the uh, two or three that make sense there. But in Germany, like bike after bike, uh, you see recent Mueller's, you see mustache, you see um, a lot of uh, gazelles, which are Dutch bikes. Um, you see just like tons of high end bikes being ridden. You know, it's they take it as a serious transportation option there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really the uh, the major selling thing here is just that it's a totally different mindset in Europe and especially in Germany. Uh, which, if anything, I think is even more impressive since Germany has such a an automotive history and it's a big part of the culture is to see such a dedication to electric bikes as vehicle alternatives. Obviously, it doesn't permeate you know the entire society. You still have a lot of motorheads in Germany, but this is a, a very different mindset compared to what we see in North America, where um, you know electric bikes are starting to be seen as as transportation alternatives by a larger community, but they're still often, you know, a recreational Sunday ride kind of thing, maybe a fitness bike, uh, that sort of thing, as opposed to this is what I use to not buy a car. I think that's, uh, you know, once we get to that point in the US, if we hopefully get to that point, that'll be the major tipping point. Yeah. So Germany crossed here, uh, I guess, you know, this year. Um, what other countries are are we close in or I think I remember seeing something somewhere, uh, maybe in the responses to this, um, that uh, Switzerland, I think, uh, already crossed over or was close to cross over, and Netherlands and uh, you know the countries in that area. Um, so we're basically seeing like uh, Western Europe kind of switch over is kind of the idea, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of uh, follows the general trend we've seen that has gone, you know, Asia to Europe to finally North America following like a decade behind everything else. So, you know, it, it tracks and, and hopefully it's a, a sign of more good things to come. Yeah. And, and obviously there's a lot of money and development and stuff going into e-bikes now. So uh, that's all, all trending in the right direction. Um, let's move on. We have uh, REI, um, the co-op place, uh, is pulling the cover off its first ever full suspension electric mountain bike. Yeah, this is the uh, Co-op Cycles DRT E3.1. So um, REI, through their Co-op Cycles brand, has released other electric bikes before. This is the first time they've done a mountain bike, and they're coming out strong with a full suspension bike right off the bat. It's got Bosch's uh, performance line CX motor. So, you know, they're, they're not pulling any punches here. This is a very nice mid-drive motor. Uh, and they've got some pretty good components here as well. The SRAM SX 12-speed uh, drivetrain. Um, they've got that large 625-watt-hour Bosch battery. Of course, with Bosch-powered e-bikes, you're going to get that, that Bosch battery as well. Um, obviously, you know, the nice RockShox suspension, uh, Tektro four-piston brakes. So, you know, this is not a um, you know, cheap, uh, direct to consumer type electric mountain bike. If anything, it's not cheap at all. It's, it starts at $5,000 and you have to be an REI member to get in on this first, um, uh, sales opening. I think it goes through the end of this month, but then starting next month, uh, sales will open up to, you know, the, the wider public, but this is a very, very nice offering, especially for their first stab at an electric mountain bike. You know, obviously they, they have, um, you know, some pretty good bike, design chops there, but to come in with a, with such a nice offering as the first one is very impressive to me that they didn't even try and start with, you know, a more basic hardtail, that kind of thing. Um, the question is, you know, are people going to be prepared to fork over $5,000 for a, a co-op cycles, full suspension mountain bike when they do have such strong competitors from companies, you know, like Cannondale, Specialized, uh, Trek, all these others that have been building these types of uh, full suspension electric mountain bikes for so many years. That sort of remains to be seen. Um, this is a bit rich for my blood. So, you know, I'm not in the target market here myself, but it will be interesting to see how consumers react to a bike like this. Um, you know, obviously this isn't like a, a crazy downhill bike or anything. Um, if anything, Seth, I think you'd probably do more uh, mountain biking than I do at this point. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I, I would definitely take this for a ride. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I'm also in the probably not five thousand uh, dollar price group yet. Although, like strangely, now that I think about it, I have uh, two downhill bikes that uh, you know they get up there, and uh, I think we paid around three thousand for those. Uh, and those are Trek, um, Trek, Trek uh, downhill bikes. So um, I guess I am in this uh, target market group uh, here. Uh, you know, I'm not a REI member at the moment, but um, I can I can see uh, this be- becoming a, a popular bike with their customers. I know they have quite a few high end bikes in the shop. There, um, they did have a big sale recently on their um, like cargoy type bikes. Um, I wonder if that was to kind of clear out uh, inventory for this thing and and perhaps some other uh, new bikes coming down the pike. Yeah, that's the other thing is that they often have those really good sales, especially for members. So it could be that at some point you can get a, a $5,000 electric mountain bike for a pretty good steal in the future. Who knows? Yeah, and REI's got all those like credit things and, um, you know, you take back some hoodies and get yourself a bike. <laughs> there you go. Know, it, it looks good. For sure. All right, let's let's move forward. Um, after first refusing one wheel, oh boy, recalls all of its self-balancing electric skateboards. Yeah, this one's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, I think it was either earlier this year or late last year that um, the Consumer Product Safety Commission was pushing one wheel to recall their models. There had been uh, many reports of a few different issues. One of the most prevalent was uh, what riders call a nosedive, which um, you can probably imagine on a self-balancing board is not a um, ideal situation of any kind, where basically when you get these things going too fast and they can no longer uh, accelerate to balance, you you run out of enough power to self-right and the, the board just nosedives and you go down with it. And so... Um, you know, the CPSC was telling one wheel, like, this is a dangerous situation. You guys should recall. And they initially said, no, this is just like how the boards work. Like you don't push it past the highest speed and you'll be fine kind of thing. And so for months and months, that was the response. And finally, they just announced uh, this past week, okay, we're doing a total recall, something like 300,000 one wheel self-balancing electric skateboards are being recalled. There's a new um, I guess software update that they're going to flash them with that is going to provide a um, audio warning when you start approaching that uh, maximum speed, maximum power limit, as well as a uh, haptic feedback. So I guess it's probably going to vibrate or something under you to give you a, a sense that it's going to happen as well. Um, and the same thing, you know, if the battery is running low or you run out of battery, it's, it's the same thing where like you just suddenly run out of the power needed to self-write it and it would throw you off. So the idea is that this update will um, give you that sort of warning. Also, you know, you're running out of battery, that sort of thing. Uh, I I can understand that, you know, this is by design kind of a more dangerous board. I mean, electric skateboards out of all the things I ride feel like the most dangerous to me, you know, and I ride, you know, e-bikes, e-motorcycles, e-scooters, skateboards. That's the one thing I've ever like crashed and like I I wasn't immediately okay kind of thing. Um, Not a one wheel, just other skateboards. But among the skateboards, a self-balancing one like this comes with its own risks. So I understand them saying, like, it's just kind of inherent in our design. But that design should have fail-safes like what they're starting to uh, uh, introduce here, which I guess isn't even technically a fail-safe. It just warns you the failure is coming and gives you a a little bit of time for you to be the fail-safe. Now, Um, do these things have the hardware on them already to do those things, the vibration and the the sound, or are they, does one wheel have to upgrade that as well? That's a good question. Um, I think that they already have uh, a a built-in speaker to be able to do the sound. Um, I'm not sure how they'd be doing the the haptic feedback, but it could be something with... um, like motor oscillation as well. I was going to like say the, they may be attenuating the motor can. Yeah. So that's actually the, um, the Harley live wire, the original one from Harley Davidson. That's how they gave that sort of haptic feedback when it was sitting at a rest to let people know it was like idling, so to speak, really? so that the motor would just like slightly like do a, like a slight turn back and forth. <laughs> and, uh, it gave like a slight rumble, like that you could feel in, you know, your thighs and in the, in the hand grips so that people who weren't used to electric motorcycles would know like, Oh, right. It's still on. So I think that's something they could do with the motor there. Interesting. Um, I'm not sure if that's the, the direction they're going, 
But it's, I mean, to me, this is fascinating because it, I'm not sure what was the tipping point. There have been, I think, four reported deaths in the last few years. So I'm not sure if, um, the tipping, you point. know, that pushed, uh, the, the coffee. Oh yeah. Oh, I shouldn't have gone with tipping point. That was bad. Um, yeah. It's a good time. Uh, it, it is interesting to see what sort of pushed them to say, all right, you know, we need to accept the CPSC's recommendation and actually do this uh, recall now. And then as far as software update, um, is that something you can do at home with a uh, USB cable or is that something you have to take to a authorized dealer or send them back to the factory or what? Yeah, I, I'm not uh, I'm not quite sure if that's clear yet. I don't believe that they have a um, like a, a self-owned dealer network. So um, hopefully it's something that, yeah, you'd be able to flash at home. Um, I mean, I'm sure that they've had product updates in the past, so hopefully it can follow like a standard uh, update procedure so it won't be um, too problematic. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, it's that's where you get into this issue of like, you know, how much can you improve the danger through a software update and how much is this just like a risk you take on a self-balancing vehicle? Right. I don't know. That's I mean, this is the one electric skateboard that... Uh, I'm a bit shy. I've ridden one once. It was fun, but going fast, I mean, like you always know that limits there. This isn't mm-hmm. like a normal electric skateboard that is self-stable at, at any speed. Right. Yeah. My neighbors have them and love them. Uh, it's weird. They don't like the new ones because there's too much uh, a DRM type software on it, but maybe that software is beneficial. Uh, moving forward. Uh, cheaper electrics, zero motorcycles announces permanent price drops on all models. Yeah, this was an interesting one because, um, for a while, zero has been running some sales on their uh, most recent models, but they just announced that they're going to make some of these price drops permanent. In this case, uh, it's all of their 2023 and 2022 inventory that they still have. So we saw some, some really good deals, um, as high as $4,500 off of their flagship models. Um, some of the, and those are, they were priced in like the, I want to say 23 ish thousand dollar range. So it brings the most expensive ones down under 20,000. Um, the lower price models that were around, uh, 13,000 or so, I think they've been brought down to about, uh, $12,000. So between a thousand to $4,500 off across the zero line. Now we are expecting that we're going to hear the uh, 2024 model la- line announcement soon in the past zero has updated their model line sometime between September and November. So we're like right in the middle of that, uh, refresh window. So it's likely that, you know, they're trying to make room to clear out, uh, inventory, but it's interesting because it, you know, it begs the question, will this, um, you know, impact pricing when it comes to these 2024 models, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen such a impressive price drop from zero before, especially with them saying these are permanent prices, not just a temporary sale kind of thing. So it does make me wonder if, you know, they, there's something that's changed here. Maybe they've hit, you know, a higher scale of production. Maybe some of the outsourcing of parts has helped them uh, with economies of scale, that sort of thing. And so perhaps we could see this become a uh, a bit more permanent when it comes to those 2024 prices at this point it's kind of speculation maybe it's wishful thinking on my part i don't know but that's another one that's that's certainly going to be interesting to see um i i know you sort of have a zero right seth or a semi-working zero uh actually i gave it to steven uh our uh, video guy um who's got a friend who's super into battery tech uh and he's He's trying to revive the battery or, or build a secondary one out of um, BMW cells, old old oh, nice. uh, i3 cells. Yeah, strange. So in the meantime, you're zero list. So if you're looking to pick up a, uh, a $4,500 off zero DSRX and go adventure bike riding, then now would be the time before I, we I see any new ones. I kind of see myself as more of an FX guy. Uh, yeah. So, um, But, you know, $1,000 price drop on that is pretty nice. Um, but we do expect, uh, as the seasons change, uh, zero usually has their, um, announcements in New York. Uh, it seems like every year, uh, October's timeframe. So we do expect, uh, there'll be another announcement, um, with some new, hopefully some new bikes and maybe even some additional price drops. So maybe it makes sense to wait until October on this one. Yeah, and that's the thing is because you never know what 
what Zero is going to bring out. Some years it's like, okay, we've changed the color slightly. And some years it's like, here's an entire new motor, battery, and model. So uh, who knows what's coming? Yep. We'll, we'll keep an eye out. And uh, if we get invited to an event in New York, we'll, we'll certainly report back. All right. Uh, and last and not least, we have Scooterson is the weirdest and also the coolest electric scooter I've ever ridden. This is, it's weird for me to use the anythingist because I've been on so many different vehicles at this point, but I have never seen something quite like the Scooterson. If anything, it, it sort of reminds me of like the, the weird Chinese designs that like they don't listen to normal rules about how vehicles should be built and they just create fun things. And in this case, the Scooterson kind of follows that design thought like it has super wide, almost like lawn tractor tires. It's got a 2000 watt motor. The whole frame is like swoopy and, and very nicely designed, super powerful, um, big removable battery. The, I mean, the whole thing is just really, really interestingly designed front and rear suspension, uh, though the rear suspension is in the, the seat post actually, instead of the, uh, wheel, like a conventional oh, swing arm. Um, and if anything, it's funny because the, the front fork, uh, suspension is the exact same as the suspension in the seat. It's just like an upside down fork. Really? So, um, it, it's kind of an interesting suspension design there, but, uh, you know, really good performance too. This thing is, uh, limited to 28 miles per hour out of the box, but there's a, a higher power version. You can open up to 34 miles an hour. So, you know, it looks cool. It's got really good performance, um, good tech on it. It's got a very nice app as well. So it's not just hardware. It's also the software side. They've really kind of outdone themselves with the design here. Now, that being said, when you go down the list of like, it's got this and that and that, then you know the price is going to be up there as well. It starts at something like $3,200, and that's for the entry-level model. So if you want the one with the, you know, twice as large battery um, and the nicer like, you know, NFC unlock, um, that kind of stuff, I think it's closer to $4,000 US. So, you know, this is a very expensive scooter. There are like, you know, light electric motorcycles that are priced in that realm. There's a time you could order a Saunders motorcycle for that price. So, you know, you're, you're forking over a lot of dough here, but I mean, if you want something that looks unlike any other scooter out there, this is going to be the way to go. Um, the one caveat that I would tell people is the first time you get on it, it is super weird to steer just because the tires are so wide. Mm -hmm. So if you think about like, um, you know, especially on like uh, heavier bikes or uh, motorcycles, when you think about counter steering, where you sort of like, if you're turning left, you push the left handlebar forward a little bit and that starts your lean. You kind of have to exaggerate that movement on here. And after a few minutes, it becomes, you know, more um, intuitive feeling. But in the beginning, it's just like it wants to stay standing up and going straight. And you got to like make an effort to turn it. So it's mm. it's got a unique ride style right off the bat with those super wide tires. But uh, if you're looking for something unique, uh, it's hard to find something that stands out more than the Scooterson, I would say. Uh, what, what do you think of the design, Seth? Um, it looks pretty cool. Um, can you stand up on it? Like uh, if you didn't want the seat there, would you be comfortable standing up? Did you try that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can stand up on it. Uh, it's definitely got, you know, a big enough deck there. It's just, it's a bit odd. Like, you know, you've got sort of like a useless seat behind you. Right. Um, and then it's kind of like at the back of your legs. So I did stand up a bit and they, you know, they demonstrated like this is another ride option. But, you know, like, like they say, why stand when you can sit? Like, right. <laughs> I get it. Um, so it all the power comes from the two kilowatt motor in the rear, uh, which is actually rated for 2.6 kilowatts. Um so the front wheel kind of looks like there's a motor there, but there's no motor in the front, right? Yeah, absolutely. They did a good job designing it. Uh, they actually have those wheels custom made for them. And so they look the same uh, mm -hmm. front to back. The other interesting thing is the only place on the entire scooter where it says Scooterson is in the uh, wheel rims there. And I think that one of the things they said was they didn't want to like plaster their name all over it because it takes away from like the design they wanted to keep like the clean swoopy nice design. So that's like the only place you find their logo is right in there. Hmm. And uh, legal wise, what, where are these things legal and illegal or is it going to vary by jurisdiction? Yeah. Welcome to the wild west. Um, I mean, e-bikes have done a good job of incorporating the, the three class system in like 30 something States at this point, but electric scooters, it's just 
all over the board. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is this has a number of um, additional features like turn signals and such. But when you're looking at these speeds, it's going to put it out of the um, scooter category in a lot mm -hmm. of states, especially the higher power version that goes up to uh, 34 miles an hour. So uh, that, that's a very good point that like, you know, if you want to be, uh, you know, aware of, of staying within the letter of the law, you're certainly going to have to check your local regulations about how this fits into scooter laws. Yeah. I wonder if you could even uh, get it licensed. Uh, I don't know what you would license maybe as a moped or something like that. Yeah, I, I could see it in, in some places. Um, a lot of states have uh, moped uh, sort of divisions that go up to either 30 or 40 miles an hour. So it might fit into some of those. Cool. All right. Um, that's it. And um, our questions today, I'm going to head down because we got a lot of stuff during uh, our conversation with Eric. But... Um, Def, uh, electric ride says definitely to have to look cool while riding. Uh, my goal of fuel was let's go fuel flow. A lot of fans. Yeah. A lot of fans. Um, electric ride says weird. This one real one wheel recall didn't address the ghosting issue that I've seen being reported. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not familiar with the ghosting issue. No. Is that what you ghost ride a one wheel? I've, I have no idea. Yeah, neither of us are, are, are really one-wheel riders, so uh, you've got a couple of minutes to tell us what ghosting is before we get to the end of the comments, electric rides. All right, uh, Carl in San Diego, too many podcasts on Friday. Oh, no, I'm watching many starting live in the middle and then rewinding to see what I missed, but I do appreciate the content. You know, Mike, I think we need to start, uh, you know, doing a more set time. Is noon good for you, you think? Noon Eastern uh, time. It's, it's it's a bit late here in Tel Aviv. We'll have to okay. Out, uh, Maybe earlier. Maybe we'll do like a like a a morning on Friday podcast because I have the the evening one uh, with Fred. Uh, Michigan biker. I own the acoustic version of that DRT. Excellent chassis. What are we talking about? The REI. Yeah the uh, the co op cycles from REI. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, that's it for the comments. Awesome. Well, thank you guys all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that show with our uh, special guest, Eric Buell, this time. I know that was fascinating for me. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys in another two weeks for another episode of the Wheelie Podcast. See you then, everyone.